Welcome to episode 172 of the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm Aaron Brightman, joined once again by David Anderson to help get ready for Rutgers versus number two Michigan on Saturday in the big house. First, David, thank you so much for being back. And second, uh, what are your initial thoughts of Rutgers' performance in that 35-16 win over Virginia Tech last weekend? Well, thanks for having me. And jumping right into it, I mean, the biggest takeaway by far for me, I heard the stat on one of the Virginia Tech podcasts recapping the game, was that they rotated three defensive tackles at two spots, basically, right? And by their calculation, this was right after the game, so perhaps the stat may have slightly adjusted. But by their initial calculation, those three guys combined for one tackle. One. Not tackle for loss. One total tackle. And so I tried to do just check the box score quickly. And yeah, I mean, at, after the adjustments, it was somewhere between one and three. So if we're talking about the Rutgers offensive line doing what they need to do and improving, I mean, not allowing defensive tackles to make plays in the middle of the field is going to you know, open up everything else. And the, what we saw from that is, okay, to stop it, Virginia Tech had to start sending more guys into the box or selling out to stop certain plays. And that ended up leading to Kyle Manungai's not game ceiling run, but it was such a momentum shifter that changed the score up to 28-16 that you saw all the elements of this building on top of one another. And that's what we've been waiting to see for so long is we have something, builds on something, builds on something. And those building blocks were apparent really for both teams. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that uh, over the course of this hour. I mean, what were your initial thoughts other than what you already said on the podcast earlier this week and your rapid reaction? <laughs> I don't know if I have anything left that's original, but um, I think for me it was, uh, yeah, it's a great point about the offensive line. And I, I think that, you know, even though they didn't throw a lot, you know, they, they've been pretty good in pass protection, I feel like, the whole season. You know, run blocking has been a little bit inconsistent, but pass protection, they really have – and I know how hard that is with rotating so many guys. And, you know, they really are splitting up the reps. I guess my question back is – you know, do you think we're working towards a tighter rotation where they're going to settle on, you know, five, six, seven guys? Or do you think that this is where it's headed, where they're just going to keep rotating eight, nine guys all season? I don't think they'll rotate eight, nine guys all season. I think that you're starting to see um, – and I want to caveat this because you can look at the pure snap counts sometimes and they don't tell the whole story. Right. It's really – like you talk about baseball, right? A reliever might have thrown 60 innings. Another guy might have thrown 50. But those 60 were not only 10 more. They were in higher leverage situations. And so that's kind of where I'm curious to see, you know, maybe this week's not a good test. Maybe Wagner's not having a good test. But once you get into those games, Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan State, like who is getting those reps? And I think that is what is going to tell but I think yeah by the end of the season I, I don't think we'll see this maybe six seven at absolute most but I, I don't think that we're going to continue seeing such a deep rotation one guy that both of us like that you know really didn't get any buzz in the offseason is Brian Felter he's playing a lot uh he got uh, the majority of the snaps uh on Saturday uh what, what, are, what were your impressions of him and also the job that Gus Olinkis has done at center yeah so with Felter I just briefly touched on them at the uh, position reviews, but for my eye test over the last couple of years, I've always thought when he was in there, he was doing what they want him to do, right? We talk about, you got to get your hands on somebody. Well, there's so many plays where like, maybe there's a pileup and he's pushing the guy over here. He's pushing the guy over here. He's active with his hands and his feet. 
And so my only question was, okay, maybe he doesn't have the same strength numbers. Do they think he's too small? Do they think he's too slow? Do they, what, what, why? And so maybe the fact that he's now got a mammoth six foot eight guy at the left tackle spot eases some of those concerns. But I, I think he brings what they want in that position. Now, in terms of Zelinskis, it's very similar. He's probably a little smaller than Ireland Brown, though it's, I've never seen them standing side by side. But he's getting the push, and we can see it on those third and shorts, even fourth and shorts, just critical situations, leading the, the blocks for Wimsett's runs up the middle. Like, they're not getting penetration right up the middle. And that's like that's your center is most important in setting that, right? Because he's got to hit whoever's right in front of him. And so – you know, then he drives one guy back, which then opens up enough of a crease for, let's say, the running backs lead blocking for uh, Wimsett. Like that doesn't work if your center is getting pushed back or even not moving forward. So I've been, I've been pleased. I mean, we talked about this two years ago that Zelinskis scored really, really well in his snaps at center. If he would have been a qualifier, I think he might have even been top ten in the conference in his scores for Pro Football Focus, but. Again, it was not, an, it was in a limited snap size. And I right. think all of us also felt that by the eye test, Ireland Brown was doing a good enough job last year, even if, like we talked about, he was one of the lower, if not the lowest scoring center for pro football focus. I think a lot of that had to do with penalties, things like that. He passed the eye test, and but Zelinska seems to be passing the eye test as well. So it's got to be encouraging that they've got two guys that might be able to do that in case there's an injury or a chemistry issue or something. And uh, what were your thoughts on the defense against Virginia Tech? So my main takeaway is since this was the first really mobile quarterback that they faced is that what we were watching the defensive line and they were taking some time to figure out, okay, how much do I fight pressure? Right. Cause we talked about in the preview for Virginia Tech that their defensive tackles, they do a lot of st- stunts and twists and things like that. So kind of the same thing is happening in reverse when you're facing a a rushing quarterback because you have to figure out, okay, I may be getting leverage on my man, but now this guy's starting to run to the outside. At what point do I start to try to run in there and risk the fact that someone could come behind me, seal me off, and now my gap is open? There seemed like there were times they weren't sure. Do I stay or should I go? And that is particularly difficult if it's the first quarterback you faced that runs like he did. And so I think that it was similarly true for the linebackers and the safeties, but really this was starting on the defensive line. I don't think they had a bad game, but you can tell they were kind of caught. Like, do I go or do I not? And as the game wore on, it seemed like drones got more comfortable, especially in the third quarter. But in that fourth quarter, yeah, Virginia Tech had a pass, but his running lanes weren't there for him, like on a, you know, second and five to just run for six yards. Those weren't there anymore, even though Rutgers was playing coverage. So that was encouraging that they improved over the course of the game. And then with the, with the tape, it should be even better. But that's what's, what's hard to stop at a running quarterback, right? And then conversely, um, what we saw a lot of times in the secondary was that since they hadn't faced the mobile quarterback as much, then you're, they're not as quick to jump if they see the receiver break off his route. Because in the first two games, it was you got to stay home because that ball could be coming, you know, whenever. Whereas in this case, if a receiver is breaking off his route, especially to the right sideline or the quarterback's strong arm side, like if you know he's a mobile quarterback and he's going to go and take off like that, you can have a shorter clock in your mind and coverage that like I can I can stay with this man and I'm not just letting him get a free replay, free yards out of it. So that said, I mean, 
we'll see if that was just this one game, if they're improving on it, if there was a coaching thing to say, just keep them in front of you. I'm not sure. We'll see it when they face some more mobile quarterbacks, probably over the course of the season. Yeah. The most encouraging thing for me is that, you know, even though Virginia tech isn't great and they do have injuries, I mean, they're, they're the most, uh, I guess like physical, physically, you know, power five, team that even though they face Northwestern, but I thought physically they held up really well and they swarmed to the ball. They continue to swarm to the ball at a high rate. Uh, and, you know, obviously we, they need that throughout the season, but to see that now consistently week after week, it's like they, they've created habits that, you know, are really key now going into Michigan. Yeah. I think really it kind of ties in both sides of the ball, right? On offense, they're finishing runs and finishing blocks. And on defense, they are swarming and, you know, you're going to give up big plays, especially against any sort of decent offense. So the question is, and this is a key for the Michigan game, can you prevent that from being a touchdown? Like Virginia Tech couldn't stop Manungai from getting into the end zone. Now, the way things are going, yeah, I think you would have punched it in a few plays later. But if you stop him at the 10, you give yourself a chance that maybe they commit a holding penalty and miss a field goal out of it. Like, you've got to limit the damage. And that's one of the keys from, again, looking back at the Michigan games the last three years is – when Rutgers was able to say, okay, the guy made a nice play. Let's make sure that, uh, you know, stop him, even if it's after 20 yards, and like to try to regroup. And they've done a better job of that this year, I would say, so far. Uh, and then that kind of leads into another thing that I was looking at, too, with the fits, is I wasn't sure on that touchdown pass if – I don't think it was necessarily a blown coverage, but it was definitely – there was some confusion about who was in what role – and that I thought that receiver was Felton was his name. Mm-hmm. Felton? Yep. Felton. Yeah. I thought he was going to be a pretty good receiver, but still he was wide open. Like that was not him just outplaying a player that, that was coverage didn't right. know who to take. And so hopefully there'll be some improvement there because McCarthy is, you have to pressure him. And when he's under pressure, even if he's rolling out, you just got to be in the area and you saw him throw a few picks last week. So I think that I'm glad Rutgers was able to play Virginia tech this week or last week, I should say, to prepare them for a subsequent game and build on what they did. I have some film on it. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and that kind of leads to what I wanted to ask you about. You know, uh, obviously, J.J. McCarthy had a bad game against Bowling Green through those picks. You know, how much do you think that – I always look at it from both sides, right? Like, is that going to improve his focus potentially and he's going to be on his A game – or does that help create a little bit maybe more doubt in terms of if he does have a bad play, if he throws an early pick, you know, could things start to snowball in his head? It's hard to say. Will he be more focused? Yes. But how will that manifest itself? Sometimes you have a tendency to overcorrect, right? Like you might overcorrect, he might focus, but he's overcorrecting to, I'm going to check down more. I'm going to throw the ball away more. It, it's impossible to tell. And so this is where coaching and quarterback play coming together is so important. Because how is he going to adjust to what the coaches are telling him to do? Are they telling him to be less risky? Are they telling him not? Right. Um, and then when I look back at the the games the last couple of years, it seemed like Rutgers was doing a good job of knowing for, you know, is Michigan State in, or I'm sorry, Michigan in conservative mode or are they in attack mode? And so if, if he's in conservative mode, you know, you, you know, okay, he's looking to look for the check down. As soon as you see, if you see an open back, you go for him. He, you know the quarterback's going there, right? That's where – whereas if he's – if they're in attack mode, like we saw in the second half last year when they opened up the playbook, you can't do that. you got to be ready for the, him making those deep throws. And so I think that Shiano 
partially from having played probably with Ohio State and seeing, has a really good tendency to feel, um, you know, is the other team and are they going forward or are they kind of playing back? Because what we saw in that game two years ago was Rutgers absolutely dominated them in the second half because Michigan was scared to throw the ball because of not even interceptions, but just close plays where a guy wasn't wide open and they just like kind of tucked it in and were lucky that Rutgers didn't come out of that game with a win. When they tried to open it up again, they couldn't because, you know, momentum was all on the Rutgers sideline for the most part. And so that's where Harrisimiak calling the defense is going to have to really have a good sense and Shiano probably as well of like what mode are they in? Because again, I don't think McCarthy's going to be as loosey goosey with the ball, but his way of not doing that might be check down. It might be throw it away. It it's probably not going to be wait longer for a guy to get open unless you're not getting any pressure. So that's kind of one of the things where sometimes you see this in the NFL where a team is just totally all over. They know exactly what the other team is going to be doing, you know, and even though the talent is identical, right. You, you can, you can just dominate a team And this game is okay. The talent's not identical, but that is a way to close the gap. Yeah. Great point. Uh, 2021 Rutgers starting the second half with four straight three and outs uh, in terms of forcing Michigan offense into four straight three and outs. They didn't get a first down until five minutes to go in the game. If Rutgers had any semblance of an offense, they they could have at worst tied it, I think. Uh, yeah. you know, so that felt like a, a missed opportunity. But I also think it helps this team going into this game. Uh, there's a lot of guys that played defense in that game that are going back to the big house. They should have a lot of confidence. One theory I have I want to ask you about is I, I feel like, and I wrote about it today, you know, they definitely have Harbaugh's attention. You know, and he's it seems like he's challenging – the team that they don't want to have a close game this time with Rutgers. They've had it three years in a row. Um, I've thought, especially that, that 2021 game, not really counting the 20 uh, COVID game, but the 21 game. And then the first half of last year, it seemed like Michigan just took that approach of, we're just going to run our base stuff. We're just going to be able to physically dominate. We're more talented and we, we don't have to do anything. Maybe special is the wrong word, but they didn't have to dig deep at all. Right. Where that second half you saw, they came out storming. And I, I, I think that, that they're going to have that type of approach, uh, you know, to, to start off the game on Saturday. What, what are your thoughts on that in terms of was Michigan just kind of, you know, playing conservative and thinking they were going to, you know, steamroll Rutgers without not trying, but not having to, to give any extra in terms of the playbook and strategy? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some truth to it. Uh, the 21 game two years ago in that second half, they were just content to just run it and Rutgers had people there, and they had momentum in that second half. And sure, they, they were scared. Like I was saying, they were scared because uh, McNamara threw two passes that were within an arm's length of a DB. They weren't even picked, but they were spooked enough that you were like, okay, let's not turn it over. Um, but on last year's game, their defense wasn't blitzing when Wimsett threw those three basically straight interceptions. Mm-hmm. When I rewatched it this morning, and it was uh, – one where he just kind of lofted it in zone coverage. And this is one of the things he has to learn in the maturation process of a quarterback. If they're in zone coverage, if you just put some air under the ball, somebody's going to pick that off. If they're in man coverage and you're throwing it to green grass or throwing it to space, sometimes you can get away with it. We saw Warner get away with it in the Temple game. We saw Wimsett get away with it also in the Temple game. But that was the first interception. Second interception, Wimsett was trying to make a play, even though it was, I think, second and five. 
and the ball got tipped and it's like, all right, you yeah. were trying to make a play. Not, you threw it a million miles an hour and I think it was Krugshank. That's not ideal, right? So he's got to learn a little bit of that. But that was one thing. And then the third one was similar. Like he just dropped back and kind of like lofted it. If you're going to beat a team like this, you've got to throw the ball with confidence. You've got to look like you have purpose. And even if you don't complete the pass, the defense is like, okay, whoa, okay, we see that these guys are here. It's kind of the same in basketball or soccer where a team, even if they're like not scoring goals or baskets, but they're pounding the ball to the corner, like you got to be ready. And that will wake up the defense. And Michigan was not having to do that. They were kind of able to just sit in like a, I don't even know what you would call it. It was kind of like a cover two, kind of like a cover three. And they just were waiting for the ball to come to them. So I don't think their defense necessarily was selling out to make plays, but their offense, yeah, they were willing to open up the playbook. So what I think you'll see is like, to your point, I think their offense will take some shots because if you just sit and run into the line, like I think Rutgers defense will be able to stop that. You have to try to stretch it downfield or at least threaten them with doing it. Yeah, great points. I, I think, uh, yeah, for, for Wimsett, I remember that third interception. He threw in a double coverage. It was a terrible throw. Uh, but but I also think that the play calling did not help him in that second half. Uh, yeah. And maybe they were forcing things. So I, I that kind of leads to another point, and I wrote about it as well today. Uh, just this this really is like kind of a – it's obviously not a final exam, but it, it's it's your midterm, I guess, so to speak, in terms of yeah. Wimsett's development under Shiraka. I think, you know, it seems like they've, uh, we know they played a pretty conservative in third quarters, eight punts, one touchdown, and nine drives in third quarters. Uh, and the play calling has been really vanilla. Is this the game that Shiraka kind of opens it up a little bit and test wins it in terms of him being able to make some, some uh, throws? Obviously, he's been more accurate within uh, 10 yards. I believe it's 27 to 33, 82%. But beyond that, he struggled. So how does that play into Shiraka's thinking? Because you know – uh, and, and people can stop messaging me and emailing me, but that Michigan's going to stack the box against Rutgers and force Wimsett to complete some passes. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at my notes and watching it because you look at that 2014 game when Rutgers did beat Michigan 26-24, and in that game, Rutgers was not perfect. They missed a, had an extra point blocked. They had a fourth down, a fake punt that they they got stopped, and they still ended up winning that game. And so, and they couldn't run the ball at all. The only threat of run they had was like Janarian Grant on jet sweeps, basically. And yet they won. They probably were outplayed. They were definitely outplayed in the trenches and they still won that game. So to me, it's like, what can you, what do you have in your playbook that can offset some of those things? Because really when you're looking at a team that's faster than you, how do you use their, over pursued against them. We saw this happen in once or twice against Syracuse when Rutgers was really firing in all cylinders and the Shiano and maybe one of them was a flood game. I think it was 2009 when they were just running misdirection and Rutgers was just running in the backfield and then the back was coming out the other side. And we're like, dude, Syracuse sucks. <laughs> How are they beating us? And it was because Rutgers was playing too fast defensively. And now on the flip side, if they're not playing too fast, you have to coach your players to say, just take those three yards, take those four yards. Like this is the, you know, just dive forward. Don't be dancing around. If the two guys are staying there flat footed, they'll probably tackle you because this is Michigan, right? But just plow through, get three yards. So it's second and, you know, five instead of second and eight 
maybe. Maybe there's less chance that you juke a guy and he goes, uh, you know, you get a big play out of it. But you got to just take those free yards. If they're going to give you that out route, you got to take that out route. Don't try to be a hero. Like, just do these things. So what does he have in the playbook to counter either of those approaches? Because if you see that they're being over-pursuing, then you got to counter them. Use their momentum against them. If they're not, you got to run plays where you're like, okay, quick this ball like we saw Langan against Michigan State last year when they were mounting the comeback. Fit this ball in and just tell them, dive forward. Like, he's going to get tackled, so don't even try to juke anybody. Just catch the ball and dive. So that's where – my concern in this particular game is I don't think the tight end stuff's going to work because Michigan's too fast and big. You're not going to be able to use Langan or Bowman or Kanapka really. Maybe you can surprise them once, but they're not going to, they're not going to be given up free yards. So do you get the backs involved? Do you max protect and slip a back out? Like those are the type of things I'm going to be looking for in the playbook. Not necessarily like, Oh, we're going to throw bombs, but these more nuanced, like how do we get player a to from point a to point b you know is a delay is it a, a pick route whatever it is and those are the type of things that Shiraka has really done a good job so far and he has done a good job at minnesota but i also checked they didn't play michigan last year so it's hard to look at like what would his offense look like against them though they did beat michigan when he was coaching at penn state uh in 2020 so take that for what it's worth right right yeah that was a big game for both teams uh that was right after the Rutgers game. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of the blocking, yeah, I, I think it's a huge test for everybody. The, the receivers and, and the tight ends and the running backs have all been really good in pass protection so far. But, what are, um, you know, the receivers struggled against as much as people want to criticize Wimsett against Virginia Tech. You know, Shiano basically called them out and said, you know, there were, there were bad routes being run. There were, um, you know, mistakes. There were drops. Uh, as much as we talk about Wimsett having a big game, I mean, I think there should be some fair concern, too, with the receivers in terms of a lack of consistency. They're missing Long and Brantley. We don't know if Long's going to play. Uh, Brantley, you would think, is probably not. He's still not, uh, you know, unless the NCAA comes up with a Friday Friday news drop. But um, I guess how concerned are you about the receivers being able to, to come through or, or, you know, be good targets, get separation for Wimsett? Well, the, it starts right now with Christian Dremel because that seems to be their main go-to guy. I know that it kind of varied each game as to who it was, but are they trying to stop him or not? And what I mean by that is, are they going to have the focus of their defense be don't allow these slot passes? Or is it going to be like, all right, we don't, we're okay with Christian Dremel catching six or seven yard passes on second and 10. Just don't let him do something more. I don't know what their approach is going to be. And again, it's every play is different. Like I don't want you to get emails that like, Oh, they're not going to do the same thing every time. No. <laughs> But, like, in general, like, what's the game plan? Is the right. game plan to force Rutgers to throw out routes to – and then it's like, okay, is Isaiah Washington going to be facing corners that are pressing or not? Like, if they stack the box, do they still press their corners and dare you to beat them downtown? I don't know. I mean, I think one of my concerns with the Virginia Tech game, like you saw in that one pass to uh, Jaquay Jackson when he ran deep and the pass came out and it could have been intercepted, mm-hmm. was – when you call those option routes, how much do you say, okay, we're going our normal play work, or you're saying, okay, in this team, don't don't expect to run the deep pass. And then do your players, do they know how to adjust like that? Or do you have to tell them, like, in the huddle, like, just run the corner or just run the curl or whatever it is? 
I don't know. I, I'm not an officer coach, so it's hard. This is a this is where the nuance of the game comes in, right? Because Michigan might be in a cover two, and they're like, just keep everything in front of them, and you can complete those passes like we saw against Northwestern with Isaiah Washington, right? They killed them with those like six or seven yard passes on first down because Wimsett has the arm strength if the corner is playing back. So I think you have a game plan going into the game, but Shraka is going to have to adjust to how we, how this works. And then to your point, the receivers have to hold up their end of the bargain. If they're open, they have to catch the ball. If their spot in the zone is where their route is going, they have to read it correctly, go on the correct timing and catch the ball. And so it's got to deliver it on time. And so, uh, yes, my, my concern after last week. Yeah. But I'm, I didn't feel like, I felt like if they had to throw, they could have thrown more. Virginia yeah. Tech has pretty good corners. That's probably the strength of their defense. Their safeties aren't great, but their corners were pretty good. And so, you know, Michigan's got a good secondary, much better than they had in 2020. So don't we shouldn't get delusional that Rutgers is going to put up 40-plus points on these guys for that reason. But in that game, Rutgers just killed him with slants, with especially yeah. Shereen Jones, by far his best game, and by far, by far, Sean Gleason's best game as offensive coordinator. So how do you come into a game with a game plan, but also the flexibility to adjust? And then do are the receivers receptive to that? I was thinking right after that Virginia Tech game, even before it ended, like if I were the offensive coaches, I would be going to every individual receiver on the sideline and be like, listen, this wasn't your week, but you have to focus, laser focus over the course of this week to make sure you know what we're doing because next week you're going to have to throw the ball. You better be ready. Like that was, it was already where my mind was going as the seconds were ticking off last week because they have to be on, like they have to be in sync with their quarterback and their coach. Yeah. And this week's going to be fascinating because, you know, the script that Rutgers has essentially ran the last three weeks was establish the early lead, uh, you know, get conservative and then kind of, you know, wear teams down in the fourth quarter. And that's not something that's going to work in this case. So I, I'm looking for them to be aggressive offensively early on. Uh, and establishing the pass to be able to open up the run. But again, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because if you have a lot of incompletions, you have three and outs, then all of a sudden your defense is on the field a lot in the first half. And then that, you know, obviously is a huge concern in terms of wearing down in the second half. Right. Well, it's, it's efficiency because if you get behind the sticks, it's hard to come back against a team like this. But at the same time, they, they have to be respectful of your deep balls. As I was mentioning, and maybe in the position previous, when I was talking to a former Rutgers coach this offseason, he said, you know, they see all the film, especially for Penn State, Michigan, especially those two. And they would see on film like that, you know, okay, we think in this coverage and this alignment, they're going to play this depth. And then they just didn't respect the Rutgers passing game at all. Now, in the Michigan game, what ended up happening in that game two years ago, well, in the game 2020, it was they, they were getting burned on that slant route, so they started backing up. In 2021, they started getting burned on just perimeter runs where Pacheco was just getting the corner, and they're, he was too fast to for their linebackers and safeties to cut it off. I don't know if anyone on the Rutgers has that type of speed now. So they didn't end up like punishing them with the deep passes, but they were had to defend the whole width of the field, I think we talked about, like you and I right. were talking about this then. So yeah. what do you do – that they can't start cheating. And so a deep pass will do it. Like if you know Jaquay Jackson in single coverage that a corner is going to let him go to the second level, there's always going to be a window of time to throw that ball. And you saw Sean Ryan was really good at this. He really knew that to break off his route once the corner gave him up, 
to go to the sideline before the safety had time to get there. Like, do they do that? Do they try double moves? I, I don't know. But I, I think Jaquay Jackson, he has the speed to do it. The question is, can someone else be there, if, especially if Long is out? And we, we, we can't expect Brantley. When, we were, when I was – and credit Richie Schneiderite for pointing this out. Brantley has played five years. So his sixth year would be because of a medical redshirt being re- assigned retroactively to last year when he only played five games. I'm pretty sure. Because he played at least five games of Sacred Heart 2018-2019, and then he 20 year doesn't count, which they played in the spring. Then he played 21, and then he played last year. He played in five games, which in the Big Ten, they wouldn't give you a medical redshirt for that because you played more than one-third. So I think there's a good chance that we never see him because they're just going to yeah. say, hey, you transferred twice. Yeah, you had an injury, but you played more than the amount of games. Like I, I, I You can't expect it. I don't know if we'll ever see him for that reason. So, And if Long's out – who is it? Do you have to play Max Patterson? Do we see somebody in that room? Do you say, okay, we need to play basketball with Ian Strong a little bit? Like, what matchup do you want to get? Because one of the other key things when you're playing a team like this is, and you mentioned like opening the playbook and things like that, is they're not going to scheme necessarily for, oh, Ian Strong coming in the slot and like we got to make sure we have a big guy on him. They're not going to do that. They're Michigan, right? That's not – they don't – they shouldn't have to do that to win. If they lose because right. of that, lost because of other stuff, right? And so what matchups – and Shiraka has been so good at this with Minnesota in the past is like, okay, we know they're going to be in their base coverage, and this guy might be weak. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, it's like Blake Corm, great running back. He's like the worst running back at block pass protection there is. So – like, can you take advantage of if he's in pass protection? Like, for example, like those little things on both sides of the ball are going to be, that's where you win at the margins and give yourself a chance in a game like this. Because the other team is there. That's not they're what they do, right? They're not going to be like, okay, if Jaquay Jackson is in the slot, we want to make sure a corner's on him rather than, no, that's, they're going to trust their personnel. And so I know we're saying a lot of what if, but Shraka has shown more than a lot of other coaches, especially more than Gleason, who really, this is a system you run it. Shraka can, has the ability to adjust within the playbook. The question is, how much can the team absorb and how flexible can they be if it's not working right away in the game? Or are they just doomed from the start? Right, right. Well, and you just touched on a great point that I wanted to, that I've been thinking about was that, you know, Gianna's touched on it too, the leadership of this team. I think the mentality of this team, the fact that, you know, the last two games the, the opponent got within one score and then they blew them out in both games. You know, they, they've been, they, they've been, uh, they've had a great mindset. They've had good leadership, but they haven't needed to really be so resilient yet. Right. Cause they haven't got punched in the mouth. They haven't trailed yet. You know, how is this team going to respond if, you know, say they're down 10, nothing, 10 minutes to go and a half. Um, aside from schemes and all that, you know, what is the heart of this team to be able to stay, stay in this fight? Uh, that, that to me is going to be a huge test uh, just to see, because I, I, I know that you'll, I, you've talked about this in the past, but just the fact that this is a game that if Rutgers can be in the game in the late third quarter, early, all the pressure is going to be on Michigan's side. And I think they just have to get through that first half of keeping it close and getting into that second half. And the more they'll believe and the more pressure I think that Michigan will feel. Oh, for sure. And that's what you saw last year was Harbaugh realized the previous two years, that's what happened. So he was like, we can't get into this. The crowd's going, you know, bonkers. 
in that when Michigan missed that field goal right before half last year, Shiano was like running a four, four to get into the locker room. If you see him like sprinting on the sideline and they're like, <laughs> okay, you have all the momentum right now. So if you're Michigan, you're like, listen, if we throw a few couple turnovers, that's fine, but we cannot let this get tight late. I mean, the 2020 game was weird because there was no fans in the crowd. Like, yeah. cause, well, not, there was not there was a lot of weird things in that game but, in that season. Right. And then, but then the other thing is like, I actually think the pressure is worse when you're at home because mm-hmm. I was getting texts from that year game two years ago where I had friends in the stadium who are Michigan fans. And they're like, dude, you guys are going to beat us. Like it, the, the, the atmosphere here is nervous, like not good. And so that was kind of an interesting thing. Sometimes teams put more pressure on themselves at home in these tight situations when they get close. So, you know, I, I hopefully Rutgers stays in. I mean, I think the odds would say, I mean, I know when you flip a coin, the previous outcome has no impact on this one, but this isn't coin flip. Like I think Rutgers is due to get their like face kicked in. The question is, can they weather the storm? And when they do get a little momentum, do they take advantage of it? Like if Michigan fumbles at midfield or maybe they go for around fourth and one, are you punting and just pinning them back? Or are you actually moving into field goal range? I mean, one thing that you've looked at Michigan's opponents this year they were getting field goals when they get an onside kick or they were, you know, you know, getting a turnover. So can Rutgers keep doing that type of thing? I mean, I think this Michigan team is a little emotional. I think that they ride the emotion good and bad in the last couple of games. So if you can get that edge, like there might be an opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what Rutgers has done so well, right? They, they've minimized their mistakes. They've been able to take advantage of the opponent. I do wonder a, you know, does Michigan get an emotional lift by having Harbaugh on the sidelines for the first time? And B, couldn't work reversely in the sense of, you know, Harbaugh's obviously making – they've talked at length about Rutgers being able to keep it close and that, you know, they're going into this game with the mentality of they're not going to allow that if Rutgers is still right there in it. It's a, even you know, worse. Right, exactly. Right. Right, I think that that not not that it has a, a ability to backfire. I mean, I think Harbaugh has the right approach, but it, it's in that the philosophy and I guess the mental side of it is fascinating to me. In that, you know, Michigan is Michigan, right? And they've blown out a lot of teams. Not so far this year as they played it pretty vanilla. But if they're, you know, maybe this is a bad way to say it, but if they're like trying, you know, of course they're trying their best. But if they really have the intent of we want to get rid of these guys in the first half and their Rutgers is clawing at them late third quarter, hanging around alligator blood, it's got to take a mental toll to some degree, right? Well, for sure. And that for any of our listeners who never play football, it's true as in football as any other sport, right? You're like, you know, how are we, how is this happening? We were giving it our quote all right. Right. We were opening the playbook. We don't have something in reserve that we're just going to. And so now I think it's the right approach because you saw Ohio State has kept their foot on the gas, you know, and they have never had a close game with Rutgers. So yeah. right. I think that as from a coaching standpoint, that is the right thing to do. But as a player, you're like, man, these guys just won't go away. Um, and that kind of kind of leads to my main main theme for this game, right? So we talked a little bit about, about passing, but – on defense, you gotta be able to. You gotta be going full speed. If you make a mistake, but you're going full speed, it has a tendency to work out. And we talked about that a lot when I played. And then, especially you hear Shiano about it. Like you have to let your team play fast. And if they don't, then you're in trouble because these guys are just gonna steamroll you if you do. So you, I know this is true in every game, but it's extra important in this game because you saw it where if you get a blitzer in there and disrupt his timing, 
then maybe it's an incomplete pass or, 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 you know, even if you're in single coverage, you know, maybe it's not, it doesn't not enough time for McCarthy to just sit back, rock and fire and throw. Cause when he has, I know every quarterback when they have time is good, but this guy is an elite level player when he has time. Whereas if you saw in his interceptions last week, especially he's just drifting just a little bit and the ball is picked, right? It was not very much, but they were able to get pressure on him. And so, you know, I'm, this is kind of a radical thing, but if you want to talk about like bold prediction, I don't think it's a prediction per se, but you as a defense might want to do things you don't normally do. Like for example, normally you don't rotate your cornerbacks to keep people fresh. Like you rotate the defensive line, maybe your linebackers a little bit, but I would consider rotating defensive backs in this game. Even if it's, you know, Kess Abraham, the Amonquas, somebody, just because you got to come out firing. And we saw even last week with Max Mellon, we were disappointed at his body language for two out of three weeks, basically. Like, if he is not swarming the ball with his teammates, he's got to get out of there. Like, you got to be going max effort on every play, or this is not going to be a win. Like, this isn't even going to be close unless you're, everybody is bought in and running full speed every time. If anybody is tired, they have to come out. Give them a couple plays off, go back in. Like, you cannot, re- you cannot be hesitant. You got to go full speed. Same thing with running backs. Same thing with receivers. Everybody, you got to be throwing those blocks. Same thing with offensive line, maybe even. Like, that's where maybe they do rotate this week. And then maybe after Wagner, we see that, okay, here's our five guys. But they, they, everybody has to be going full speed all the time, except for your quarterback who has to, you know, be under control. But that's where, you know, my biggest takeaway when you look at the games the last few years. When Rutgers was doing that, they were okay. Run, rotating people, keeping them fresh. If they don't do that, you're in trouble. That said, they tried to do that last year, and then they gave up two fourth down and goal touchdowns from the one when you have Joe Lasardi, who looks a lot bigger and stronger this year. Jameer Wright Collins was in there. Austin Dean was in key snaps, right? So they, they, they tried last year, but maybe their personnel is going to be a little bit better or the same players are better than they were last year to kind of weather that storm. So – that's one of the things I'll be looking out for is just how much, how fresh are the defensive guys? And if a guy does look tired, do they take him out right away? Cause you can't give away free, free, free yards in this game for that type of thing. Right. And that, you know, is a great kind of closing point in the sense of this game is, you know, it, it's, it's obviously a huge test for Rutgers, but, depth is certainly going to be on the line in terms of we think Rutgers is deeper. We think they're more talented. This is a great way to prove it against a Michigan team, because that's what I think made the, the defense so successful is they're not relying on three or four guys. They're getting contributions, you know, like eight different guys have sacks, five different mm-hmm. guys have interceptions. Uh, you know, the, the, everyone is contributing in their own way. And this is a game that, that that's got to happen. They can't just, yeah, they can't keep the same 11 guys out there. The whole game, the, the adrenaline of this game, the swings of this game, they, they're going to need – they're too deep to really come through. So I'm fascinated to see how they hang from a depth perspective uh, in this game. Any closing thoughts you have? Yeah, I mean, just looking back through my notes, um, like sometimes you can go with the unexpected. Like you saw a pop kickoff by Bowling Green that ended up getting fumbled. Like Michigan might not be ready for those type of little things. You And that also tells your team, hey, we're playing to win. Right. That helps. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting when I'm watching Michigan on film is their cornerbacks really are not handsy. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're almost like they're being coached. It was almost like they were coached. Don't use your hands. 
the last two weeks. And they kind of just follow a receiver. And then at the last moment, if the receiver kind of throws their hands up, the defensive back is not, you know, pressuring them. They don't want to get past interference. Instead, what they're doing is they're relying on their safeties to come and just ball hawk because there was a couple of plays like that and where, you know, Virginia Tech safeties, like we said, they, they didn't take proper angles. So there might have been, you know, might have worked last week. Michigan's safeties are much faster. But there might be an opportunity to run routes where, you know, if you're just a little bit more physical that you might be able to make the play. So there might be some little things like that where if Rutgers is the aggressor, they, they have a better shot. Um, and then lastly, as a lineman, like you can't lose leverage because you got, and that's where we were saying it's kind of tough with like, do we go, do we stay, do we hold my gap assignment or do I pursue the ball carrier? You know, all that comes down to staying low. What happened last week with Bowling Green, all of the plays that they give up that were big, every single one were when I saw their defensive line, especially kind of standing up and not staying low and either that prevented them from getting a pass rush preventing them from stopping a runner like and i know it's hard when they're on a 10 play drive these guys are huge they're good but you have to somehow keep your leverage or else they're going to steamroll you and so that kind of goes into the depth point that we'll need to see and it's just these little things that Rutgers going to have to do well to keep kevin shot in this game and it's entirely possible that they play their best game all year and they still lose and we he need to just be ready for that right this team is right. that game they're facing but like we've kind of looked at for the last decade, every time you're playing a ranked opponent is an opportunity to do the unthinkable. They haven't beaten a ranked opponent since I think 2009. And even then it was like somebody, maybe it was South Florida or somebody like that. Like every, yeah. this is an opportunity to do something that you have not done in almost 15 years. And so, and they got next week against Wagner. So if you get a little bit banged up, you have a little time to correct some of these things heading in. So you gotta you gotta just empty the kimono, I think, in this one. Just just everything you got. Now I'm sure if you're down by four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, fine. Like I don't want to see Sam Brown re-injuring his leg or his foot because of that. Fine. But as long as this is close, you gotta play to win. Absolutely, completely agree. Because you know, really, like they do have nothing to lose in this game other than getting injured because nothing. a loss doesn't take anything off the table this team hopes to accomplish this season. So all the pressure is on Michigan in that sense, where a loss would be so much more damaging. And to your point about being a ranked opponent, this would not just be beating a ranked opponent. This would be tie their highest ranked whenever South Florida was the other in 07. But this would, in Wait, my man. mind, clearly be the biggest win in program history. It would change perception of the program nationally in the Big Ten immediately. It would put them ranked. It would put it would, it would you know it would raise the ceiling of the season. It would raise the ceiling of Shiano 2.0. Like this is a huge moment. Like, and I, I, I just, to my last point is I want to see them play with that urgency, with that edge. And I want them to coach like it too. Right. It's gotta be everybody support staff, yep. coaches, players, everybody's got to be bought in. And this is what we talk about all the time. Right. So we'll talk about it more as the season goes on about, you know, extending your season, but this is a big thing right now. They got to, everybody's got to be focused. And I think they will be everything we've seen from this team indicates that they are, They've got that professionalism going on um, all three phases. Totally agree with you, David Anderson. Thanks again. Uh, great to have you and great insight as always. And looking forward to talking again next week. Thanks so much for listening to Scarlet Faithful Podcast once again. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.